It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Engineers in the U.S. have created the world's most powerful magnet, The magnet, known as the central solenoid, was designed to make up the heart of the world's largest fusion reactor, called the ITER, which stands for International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor. It's essentially a sun simulator, using the same process that powers the sun to potentially offer nearly limitless clean energy. When fully assembled in France, the 1,000-ton central solenoid magnet will be 59 feet tall and 14 feet wide, and it'll be capable of producing a magnetic field measuring 13 Teslas. That comes to about 280,000 times stronger than the Earth's magnetic field, making it strong enough to lift an entire 100,000-ton aircraft carrier, (laughs) and that's some magnet. Friends, you know, the Bible talks about an even more powerful force capable of lifting the whole human race. Stay with us. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends. If you've got Bible questions, that's what this program is all about. We invite you to call in with your Bible questions. We're going to be with you for the next hour. And that number is 800-GOD-SAYS. That's 800-463-7297. 800-463-7297. We're also streaming right now. If you want to see what's going on here in the studio, you can watch. And that would be on the Amazing Facts Facebook page or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. In any event, you tell your friends, call in. We do our best to answer questions about the Bible and living the Christian life. And my name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross. Good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, it's good to be able to do Bible Answers Live again. We were out of... Uh out of town for a couple of weeks, but it's nice to be back and take Bible questions. We are live, as Pastor Doug mentioned, and if you have a Bible question, we'd love to hear from you. Pastor Doug, you opened the program talking about a very powerful magnet, and of course, we use magnets every day in everyday life. It's got a number of very practical and and uh, use, uses uh, that we use all the time, but to build a magnet big enough, you can just imagine a magnet that could actually lift an aircraft carrier. That's almost beyond belief, and yet they're trying to do that. I know. That's the, and I guess they've, they've got that done, this, this uh, sun generator that they're building. And they think that it's going to be able to go online by, well, the initial testing, 2025. They think by 2040, they're going to be able to produce fission nuclear energy w- that is you know, vir- virtually um, free of any outside, uh, what do you call it, resources. And uh, it's a pretty complicated science, but this magnet needs to be powerful enough to hold 
these protons that are wanting to explode in mm. position. It sounds pretty scary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, lift up an aircraft carrier with a magnet. That's really something. That's a lot of power. Makes me think about a bigger power you read about in the Bible. And Jesus is speaking in John 12, verse 32. And he said, if I, even I, am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And this he said, signifying what death he would die. Through Christ being lifted up on the cross, the love of God is demonstrated. And there is a drawing attraction. There's a power that when people see the love of God, the Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And we love him because he first loved us. And it's seeing the love of God. That's where that drawing power comes from, that power of love. And it can lift the whole world out of uh, selfishness and sin. You know, probably a number of our folks are listening. If they've, you've maybe heard the phrase, the power of the cross. <laughs> well, there is power in the cross. It's the power in the demonstration of God's love for fallen humanity. We have a book that talks about that. It's called The High Cost of the Cross, and we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. It's free. If you're in North America, all you have to do is call the number 1-800-835-6747 and ask for the book. It's called The High Cost of the Cross, and we'll be happy to get that in the mail and send it to you. If you're listening outside of North America, you can go to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.org or .com. And you'll be able to read the book right there online. It's called The High Cost of the Cross. Well, Pastor Doug, before we get to our Bible questions, we always like to begin with a word of prayer. So let's go ahead and do that now. Dear Father, once again, we are grateful for this opportunity to open up your word and study. We know the Bible is your book. It is the most important book that we could ever read and study. But we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us into a clear and full understanding of Bible truth. So, Bless our time together. Be with those who are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, the first caller that we have is Rick, and he is listening in Canada. Rick, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you. Uh, good evening, Pastors. How are you? Great, and thanks for your patience. Hey, no problem, no problem. Um, what I'm looking for tonight, Pastors, is get some clarification on Genesis 9-3. Yes. Where it speaks about uh, every moving thing lives shall be food for you. I'm just trying to get some clarification on that versus Genesis 1:29, as well as what's described in Leviticus. Um, trying to get some clarification on what what the intent of that. Yeah, well, when you read in Genesis 9, and God tells Noah after the flood that uh, you're free to eat of the moving living creatures. Uh, up until the time of the flood, the only time they might have eaten meat would have been for a sacrifice because the sacrificial system was established before um, the flood. But people were largely vegetarians. You know, God told Adam and Eve and most of their posterity was uh, probably eating a largely vegetarian diet. Eating meat was a rare exception. But after the flood, all the vegetation is destroyed. And so God said, well, now you might eat freely of the foods, but he specifies in Genesis 7, 2, what those animals are. So if you read in Genesis 7, verse 2, he says, you'll take with you seven of every clean animal, male and female. And then he says of the animals that are unclean. So God has made a distinction between the clean and the unclean. So what he says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, is following the criteria of Genesis 7, of the clean animals you're free to eat. He wasn't saying that now man can now eat buzzards and skunks. and I mean, you know, obviously there's some things that no one would even think of eating. Right, it, it, exactly. Just looking for some clarification because some, some individuals are taking that as in they can eat anything that they wish. 
Yeah, well, it's like uh, Mark Twain said, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. If some people have their mind made up, they want to eat something. They, you can show them lots of scripture. But if they want to go by what the word of God says, it's pretty clear that what you sow, you're going to reap. And God does care that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't agree with you more. I thank you for your time and thanks for the clarification. Have a good night. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate your call. You know, Pastor Doug, we got a study guide called God's Free Health Plan. It actually talks about these verses that um, was related to the question. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. It's one of the Amazing Facts study guide lessons. It's uh, The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, the lesson is called God's Free Health Plan. I'm just actually looking at it right now. I've got it open on my computer. Just a wealth of information from Scripture as well as things from science. And, and it's uh, beautifully illustrated. Too. It is. Yep. If you have not yet seen the study guide, you need to call and ask. Again, it's 800-835-6747. Ask for the Amazing Facts study guide called God's Free Health Plan. We've got Dan listening in um, Richland. Dan, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Uh, hi. Uh, hi, Doug and John Ross. Hey, I've got a question about uh, handing out Bible tracts. Um, I went to the pastor and asked him about handing out some Bible tracts for Sabbath, and uh, he said it thought it would deter people. And asked me where in the Bible does it say hand out Bible tracts? And I said, well, I said if you love me, ask, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So is there anything? Is, is that is there any restrictions on how you spread the gospel? Well, obviously, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, if you're looking for a verse that says, thou shalt hand out Bible tracts, keep in mind, I think everyone knows that the printing press wasn't really invented until 1,500 years after Jesus by Gutenberg. And one of the first books they printed on the printing press was a Bible. But the idea of um, sharing the gospel and sharing information, you know, Jesus said, go and teach all nations. That's the great commission. And if you can do it through word, uh, you can do it through the written word. We're doing it right now through the word on radio and television. And uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I mean, God wants us to be tactful. You, you know, uh, you, you don't want to uh, accost people and, may, and, you know, drive them away. But there's nothing wrong with offering free literature to people if they're open. In Revelation chapter 1, we find a blessing on those who read, those who hear, and then those who keep the things that are written in the book. And it's talking about the book of Revelation, but also the Bible as a whole. So right there in Scripture, we find a great blessing for those who read and hear. And if that means sharing literature so they can read, they can hear, well, of course, that's in harmony with what um, the Bible teaches. Now, as Pastor Doug mentioned, uh, we need to... We need to recognize usually a good way to share literature is to begin a conversation with somebody. And if they have an interest or they have a question on something, maybe they're going through a crisis in their life and you have an appropriate tract or a little book that you can give them. Um, that's a great way to share literature with people. You just want to push stuff on them when they don't want it. Yeah, and Amazing Facts, we've got a whole lineup of sharing literature called Amazing Facts Tracks. Mm -hmm. So we believe in giving out tracts if a lot of people order them from us. By the way, there is a verse in 2 Timothy 4.13. Paul said to Timothy, um, and bring the cloak I left at Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. So they did believe in uh, literature and Paul told uh, Timothy, study to show yourself approved. So they did read, they did study and uh, they did, he said, bring me a track, <laughs> bring me the parchments. All right, thanks for your call, Dan. We've got Samuel listening in Wisconsin. Samuel, welcome to the program. Thank you, brothers, for taking my question. Yeah. 
Um, I, I read uh, in Paul's letter to Timothy, requesting him to come to the church of Philippi, in chapter 2, verse 26, the name is mentioned, Epaphrodites, as Timothy's assistant. Mm-hmm. Can you mention comment on that individual? Ephrodites, yeah. I think he's mentioned not only in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, he's also mentioned in um, Philippians, uh, let me see, that would be... 418 it says indeed i have all and abound and am fully received from Ephrodites the things that you sent so he had been sent from uh, timothy to paul who i think was in prison at this time um and uh he said you know so the, he's one of the christian one of the believers and he's a close friend of both paul and timothy and and uh he, he was being used to communicate messages and material between Timothy and Paul. Yeah, you know, I'm just looking at a little bit of a commentary on this verse here on my computer, and it says that uh, he was um, believed to be a minister at uh, Colossus in Asia Minor. So he had uh, some leadership result, uh, position or responsibility in the church. And so he knew Paul. Uh, and um, yeah, it sounds like they had worked together and in stating communication. Yeah, and he, he brought, I think he brought some kind of an offering to some support to Paul. And so it's like a sweet swelling, smelling aroma. That usually means that uh, there's some kind of offering that was given. And the name is Greek, and it's actually related to a uh, a Greek goddess. So it's pretty clear that he was probably not a Jew. He was a convert to Christianity. He was yeah. a Greek. Well, thank you. Appreciate your question, Samuel. I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I don't think we've ever had that question before. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. All right. We've got Jeff in Montana. Jeff, welcome to the program. Good evening. Evening. I had a question uh, about predestination. And if if God knows who will be saved and who will be lost, not saying that he decides that, but if he knows all things, does the Holy Spirit still work on the hearts of those he knows will be lost? And would that be casting pearls before swine? Okay, good question. Well, yes, God does know all things, but uh, Jesus, I think, wants us to preach the gospel to the whole world. Some will believe, some won't. I believe the Holy Spirit strives with every person. Um, Because God knows that there are some people that um, will ultimately not choose to follow him, I don't think that he's like a hospital that does triage and they say, well, that one's not going to make it, so don't waste any resources on them. You know what I mean? Like in an accident. Uh, So God, he pours all of his resources into anybody that has potential. Whether or not they're saved is usually dependent on their choice. He says, you know, all that come unto me, I will receive. So uh, because God knows it doesn't mean that God is uh, participating in their being lost or withholding his love from them. Mm-hmm. We have a verse in John chapter 1, verse 9. It's talking about Christ, but it's also referring to the Holy Spirit. It says, that is the true light, which gives light to every man that cometh into the world. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to everyone. The gospel invitation has gone to all. That's why Jesus said, whosoever believeth, and he's baptized. So it's for everyone. The invitation is for everyone. The Holy Spirit will be speaking to everyone. God knows what they're going to do, but um, God gives everyone the same opportunity. Yes. 
And so, yeah, Jeff, that uh, we do have a book that talks about can a saved man choose to be lost. It talks yes. about predestination, and we can send you a free copy. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. The book, again, is called Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? And, of course, this is for anyone who would give us a call, 800-835-6747. Again, if you're outside of North America, take a look at the Amazing Facts website. We've got uh, Deanna in Loma Linda, California. Deanna, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I have a, a friend here from Taiwan that's hoping you're going to get some evangelistic meetings in her country soon. I'd love to do it. And my question is, um, there's 12 gates mentioned uh, in heaven and as we enter after the tribes of uh, uh, the sons of Jacob. Uh, is there a reason that we have to go in a certain one? Yeah, good question. When it talks in Revelation, Pastor Ross may have the verse in Revelation, was it 22? Chapter 21 talks about the New Jerusalem, yes. And the 12 gates are there? or I'm looking at it right here. Let me find it. So I, God is not saying you have to go in or out of a particular gate. Uh, I think the reason there's 12 gates is because the Lord chose 12 apostles. There's 12 tribes. And it's like there's these different personalities. And, you know, it seems like God's church is made up of all different people. You got Andrew, who's very quiet, and Peter, his brother, very loud. <laughs> and it's like, whoever you are, you know, the high priest had 12 stones on his breastplate. They're all different stones. They're all precious stones. And it's like God is saying, I got a gate for everybody. You know, I've made people to be different. It's, I'm not a cookie cutter God. And um, so there's a gate for everybody. Yeah, it's actually an easy verse to remember. Revelation 21. 12 talks about 12 gates. So yeah. there it is. Talks about <laughs> 12 gates into the New Jerusalem. 2112, 12 there gates. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, hope that helps, Deanna. Thanks for your call. Good question. We've got Tammy listening in Virginia. Tammy, welcome to the program. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Okay. Um, I would like to know some Bible verses that tell me whether women can be or not to be pastors of a church and is a judge like Deborah in the Bible. Is she considered a leader, um, such as a pastor? And the same goes for Miriam and the other prophets, women prophets in the Bible. Yeah, good question. And I know it's a it's a very sensitive question today because of just uh, it, it seems like there's been a lot of discussion on gender issues uh, all over the map in the world today. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Um, the Bible tells us that men and women are of equal value. When you read in Galatians 2:28, uh, the Lord says, you know, there's neither male or female, meaning that, you know, the salvation, availability, and the preciousness of every soul. God doesn't value Jews more than Gentiles or men more than women. He values everybody the same. But obviously, there are distinctions of roles between men and women. Uh, you know, women uh, clearly have three physiological functions that men do not even have. Uh, so, you know, the role of women in um, in families is going to be different. In the Bible, you see that the role of women was different than the role of men. You do have women that served as prophetess in the Bible. You've got Huldah and Miriam and Deborah and um, I mean, technically Mary uttered a prophecy when she was called. I don't know that you'd call her a prophet, but... Um, but there's never an example in the Bible of women serving in the capacity of apostle, pastor, or priest. Uh, those roles that were, you know, only have men doing baptizing in the Bible, uh, when the kings that were chosen were all men that God chose. 
Uh, so you do see a distinction in the roles, and I think that plays out in the families. The Bible talks about the relationship of men should be the servant leaders in the families. That doesn't mean they should be despots or dictators, but they should lead. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's in Ephesians chapter five. So, you know, Paul also says that there's a distinction um, between the ministry of men and women in the church. And there's several verses. So probably the best thing would be to send you. We've got a booklet on that because we get this question every now and then. It's the role of women in ministry. God calls every believer to minister using their gifts, but there's a distinction in the roles. Mm -hmm. And again, we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. The book is called God's Role for Women in Ministry. We'll send that to anyone in North America. If you're outside again, just go to the Amazing Facts website. Tammy, thank you for your call. We have got Matthew listening in Mississippi. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, Matthew. How are you doing? You're doing good. And brothers, it's a blessing, blessing to have you guys on air. Well, thank you. Now, you may want to turn down your radio in the background because you'll notice a delay and it could confuse you. Okay. Uh, my question is um, Isaiah 65, 20. It is speaking of death in that verse. And I have always been bewildered about that because this is in uh, speaking of the new heaven and new earth. Can you explain that for me? Yeah, and if you read in Isaiah chapter 65, when you start with verse 17, it says, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former will not be remembered nor come into mind. Uh, so it's talking about, you know, Jerusalem is a joy. Her people are rejoicing. It says, No longer will weeping be heard. Well, if there's no weeping and there's no crying, and it says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. They used to have a high mortality of infants. That's verse 20. Uh, nor an old man that has not fulfilled his days. For the child will die a hundred years old. Now that's a difficult translation. The word die there in Hebrew can also be translated cease. And it means that a child will not even cease to be a child until it's a hundred years old. Because people are living forever. If you look in Genesis, you'll notice that some of the early patriarchs, they didn't get married until they were older than 100. And uh, so it's basically saying in heaven, we're going to return to God's plan where children grow up much more slowly. It says, nor will there be an old man that does not fulfill his days. You're not going to have people young or old dying. You read in Revelation, there is no more death there. But a sinner being 100 years old will be a curse, meaning that the, the memory of the sinners are occurs forever even after 100 years right does that help at all well yes that helps i have i have always been bewildered by that because i mean here i see the word die speaking of death in the new heaven and new earth and that just uh, does not add up with scripture yeah so if, if you just understand there in hebrew it says for the child will uh, uh, not even cease until it's 100 years old a child shall cease 100 years old, meaning it'll cease to be a child. I mean, you've never looked at someone 80 years old and say, you're a kid. Right. So it's telling us that people are going to be living forever. Right. Okay. Now, yeah, when you also, you can read in Malachi chapter four, speaking of the new earth, says that the um, people will go forth and grow up. 
So there are children in heaven. Uh, Isaiah 11 says that, I think it's Isaiah 11, that the child will play on the hole of the venomous serpent, but it will not hurt or destroy. So there are children in heaven, but they don't stay children forever. Mm -hmm. They're just going to grow more slowly because then you enter eternity as an adult. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. Good question. We've got uh, Shayla listening from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Shayla, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Um, I'm calling um, to find out and learn more about salvation. I'm a little bit confused um, because Hebrews 10 and 26 and 27 says there will be no more sacrifice, but a certain fearful looking for judgment. And in Romans um, 9, um, 18 through 23, it says, God will have mercy on whom, he chooses, on whom he chooses, and some of us are made for destruction. If I'm seeking God and seeking salvation out of fear of hell, then that's not genuine repentance, is it? Well, it can be a starting point. Uh, you know, even John the Baptist, when he was preaching, he said, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And when God's angels led Sodom, let the lot and his daughters and wife out of Sodom, he said, flee. <laughs> and so wanting to avoid uh, hell can be a starting point, but you want to get to the place where you're not just running from something, but you're running to Jesus. And so, and by the way, in Hebrews 10, 26, where it says, for if we sin willfully, that actually translates, if we continue to sin, the word sin there is, it's talking about an ongoing, if we continue to uh, persist in sinning willfully, we're not resisting, we're not repenting, then there's no more sacrifice. But in Romans, when it tells us that, you know, some are appointed to destruction, uh, yeah, God said he's appointed those who resist his grace to destruction. But Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. And, you know, Christ says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The Lord wants everybody to be saved. And that's including you. And just the context a little more there in Romans chapter 9, if you read up a little earlier, starting verse 14, it's really talking about nations. It's not talking about individuals. The point that was being discussed by Paul in Romans was why was Israel chosen as a nation through which God would, would work, through the Messiah, who the Messiah would come. Why not some other nation? And uh, Paul is making the point that God is the one who chooses some nations and chooses others. And uh, it's talking about the nation of Israel. It's not talking about individuals here because everyone has the opportunity for salvation. Yeah, he compares Esau and the Edomites with Jacob and the right. Israelites. That's correct. That's the context there. Um, does that help, uh, Shayla? Um, yes. Thank you. You know, we want to encourage you as well. I think you'd really enjoy the book that we offered at the beginning of the program called The High Cost of the Cross. And it's talking about uh, what Jesus has done for us and how we can have salvation in him. We'll be happy to send that to you or anyone who calls and asks. The number again is 800-835-6747. That's 800-835-6747. Ask for the book, The High Cost of the Cross. And we'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. You know, Pastor Ross, we have a couple of minutes just before, I should say a few seconds before we're going to our mid-program break. And I'd just like to mention something that we'll be mentioning along the way. Amazing Facts is having a big evangelistic extravaganza, if I can use that term. And it's going to be October 15. It's called Panorama of Prophecy. Any church in North America can participate in this program. And we'll be giving you more details along the way. We've got a website called Panorama of Prophecy. You're going to want to sign up your church or your home group and Bring some souls to Christ. We're going to be doing a full evangelistic program, October 15, November 13. We'll be right back. 
Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. A beast, a dragon, and a woman. They sound like the characters in a fairy tale, but nothing could be further from the truth. These three symbolic end-time players are actually found in the book of Revelation, whose predictions about the last days are not exactly a bedtime story. But there is a book called The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, and it's a daring and concise overview of the Bible's most compelling and perplexing end-time players. And it tells about the struggle between truth and error. You'll even find out the part that America plays in these last days. If you want to be ready for the earth-shaking events yet to come, then make sure and get your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman today. To order your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Don't be caught unprepared for the final events of Bible prophecy. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And if you've tuned in somewhere along the way, we are a live international interactive Bible study. You're invited to call in with your Bible questions, any question about the Word of God or living the Christian life. We don't have all the answers, but we have the Word of God in front of us, and we will search together. To call in, it's 800-GOD-SAYS. That's 800-463-7297. Also have another number that we share during the program for free resources. We give away a lot of free study resources, and we just send it to people when they ask. And uh, we're also streaming on Facebook as well right now. So if you want to see what's happening here in the studio, you can see I've got the beginning of a beard. That'll probably shave off later (laughs) this week. Not that interesting. But anyway, uh, that would be the Amazing Facts Facebook page. 
or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And I am Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross, and we've got a number of folks standing by with their Bible question. We've got Angel listening in New York. Angel, welcome to the program. Yes, hi. I have a, a question for you. I know it talks in the Bible, it says uh, Enoch walked with God, he, and it also says he didn't experience death, and he was taken up to heaven like a rapture, like to, to God. So why why is in the book of Enoch in the Bible? All right, that is a good question. Um, the only place you find the book of Enoch reference is in the book of Jude. Uh, there was a book called the book of Enoch. Jude does not say it was written by Enoch. Uh, there, it, the, uh, the Jews, when they were in Babylon, they had a book called the book of Enoch and had a lot of very good spiritual information in it. But it wasn't really part of scripture and, and it's not really um, endorsed as scripture by other uh, Bible authors. But there's an excerpt that Jude quotes from. That book was probably written by the, during the Babylonian captivities, near as the scholars can tell. And so um, that's why it's, it was not written by Enoch because, of course, Enoch went to heaven and then there was a big flood that washed everything away. He would have had to give it to Noah who would have had to give it to Abraham and so forth and somehow the book would have survived. Never mentioned by Noah, Abraham, Moses. No one ever mentions the book of Enoch until you get to Jude. That's because it, and we have copies of the book of Enoch today. It's part of the Jewish literature, but it appears during the Babylonian captivity. Never mentioned before that. Does that help, Angel? Uh, yeah, it helps. And I uh, and someone was telling me it also mentions, Enoch mentions about Christ. I mean, I never read the book, but it'd be interesting to, to see, you know, what he says about Christ, you know, the coming of Christ, you know. Yeah, he may talk about the Messiah. He doesn't, the book of Enoch does not talk about Jesus specifically. It does say the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints. So that may be what they're talking about. And, uh, you know, we know the Lord is Jesus Christ, but I think Enoch just says the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for your call. We have Norman listening in Indiana. Norman, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Ross and uh, Pastor Bachelor. So uh, thank you for taking my question. And the question that I have is uh, if Adam and Eve were created immortal, and if so, why was the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and taken away after they sinned? Well, where do you read that Adam and Eve were made immortal? I don't. I'm asking if, if you can shed some light on this. The, you know, this is a common misunderstanding. Immortality is a gift. And Pastor Ross, that verse that says, God and God only have immortality. Um, eternal life is given to the redeemed. Adam and Eve, they had, uh, they were, they had eternal life on the condition they continued to eat from this tree. Uh, they were not immortal. Only, you know, only God hath immortality, the Bible says. And God is, you know, from everlasting to everlasting. Now, God will give immortality to those who patient continuance in well-doing. And the Bible says we seek after immortality. Matter of fact, that's one of the verses, uh, Pastor Ross. Is. So um, there's several places in the New Testament where it tells us that immortality is a gift given to the redeemed. And you have some there? Yeah, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 talks about God, who is immortal, invisible, wise. So one of the characteristics that's clearly uh, given to God. And First Timothy 6, verse 16 says, God alone has immortality. So that's First Timothy 6, verse 16. So the gift of immortality. Yeah, there, God alone has immortality. Yep. 
And, and then there's a place also, and if you're doing a search on the word where it says, through patient continuance, we receive immortality. So it's something that we don't have by birth. Adam and Eve did not have by birth. That's why God said, chase them out of the garden. If they don't eat from the tree, they'll die. Uh, obviously, meant they're not immortal. The fruit would help perpetuate life. But um, is that helping, Norm? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your call. You're referring to Romans chapter 2, verse 7, Pastor Dak, talking about uh, patient continuance in doing good that you might receive immortality. And that would be at the second coming. Right. Next caller that we have is uh, Abigail listening in California, Mantega. Abigail, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. Thanks for calling. And your question tonight. Um, my question is um, regarding Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. Okay, I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Let me read verse 16. It says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sins. And so what, what's your specific question about that verse? Um, because like several places in the Bible, when, when it, like it has a thing where when the father sins, the whole family is killed, or like God tells the people kill the whole family um like in um yeah like in the story of Achan yeah yeah so there are a few times uh once with king Saul's sons um David have had them slain because the children were accomplices in the crime now when it comes to Achan Achan had stolen something from the city of Jericho when they conquered Jericho and he hid it in his tent and all of his family knew he hid it in the tent. And even after Joshua said they, they needed to confess whoever it was, the family, they could have said, you know, it was our father, it was our grandfather or our brother. They didn't say anything about it. They kind of conspired. They were accessories to the crime. And so they were responsible because they were supporting their father in hiding this in the tent under the carpet. Um, but when a son is innocent, I'll give you another example. When uh, one of the kings was assassinated, one of the kings of Judah was killed by his servants. Well, when his son began to reign, he killed the assassins, but he did not bother their families because he said, the Bible says the children shall not suffer for the crimes of the parents. So, um, and it also repeats that in um, Ezekiel 18, where it said that um, the uh, the parents will not be guilty for the sins of the uh children and the children will not be guilty for the sins of the parents the righteousness of the righteous will be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him and so um, does that answer uh, there may be a couple of other cases you're thinking of uh, abigail um, um what about um exodus um, chapter 20 verse 5 um the third and fourth generation of those that hate me yes like it, um, for those who hate you they'll like god will punish for the um, fourth and third generations, like the children who of those people. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I'm glad you're asking that because that was actually one of the next ones I was thinking of. Did you find the verse in Ezekiel? Um, no, I was actually looking up the one with the third and fourth generation, oh. Numbers 14, 18, Ezekiel 34, 7. Yeah, and and it also tells us in the Ten Commandments, it said uh, when in the commandment about idolatry, it says punishing wickedness unto the third and fourth generation and showing mercy unto thousands of those that love me and keep my commandments. 
uh, you know, there's a principle in the Bible where children often repeat the behavior of the fathers for three or four generations. It takes a while sometimes to get out of the cycle. And so when God says visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, that means that the, the parents that are teaching the idolatry to their families, it takes several generations for them to often shake that. And you know, the word they used is iniquity, and it's kind of interesting. It says visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, third and fourth generation. The word iniquity has, has an interesting meaning. Yeah, it's connected to sin, but even more so, it's relating to selfishness or rebellion. So the, repa the rebellion of a parent is often picked up by the children, and that can continue for three, four generations. They're still guilty for their own sins, but they learn from their parents. And that's what God is warning against, saying, be careful. What you do is going to have an impact upon your children. Yeah, they, they did a, a study. For years, they had an idea in the medical community. They'd say, well, this, this man is obese and his children are obese, and it, probably he has an obese gene. Well, they, they watched a little further, and they'd like, have twins, and one would be adopted by another family, and it wouldn't be obese. Mm -hmm. What was happening is the eating habits mm -hmm. were being passed from the fathers onto the children for third, three and four generations. And so that often happens with behaviors. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you very much, Abigail. Hope uh, that helps a little bit. Appreciate your call. We've got uh, Duncan listening in Ohio. Duncan, welcome to the program. Say thank you. Thanks. And your question tonight, Duncan. Why didn't destroy? Why didn't Jesus destroy Satan when he re rebelled? Okay, good question. We know that God is more powerful than the devil. So when the devil began to rebel against God, why didn't God just send a lightning bolt out of his fingertips and burn the devil up? He could have done that, um, because the devil had been telling the other angels in heaven that God is unfair and that God is a tyrant and we don't need God's laws and he doesn't let us have freedom and he's a mean judge. He still tells people this all today and Jesus says, no, God is love. If God had burnt up the devil as soon as he began to question God's goodness, all the other angels would have said, uh-oh, look what happened to Lucifer. Maybe he was right. We better not ever be um, questioning anything about God or he's going to burn us up. God does not want us to obey him because we're going to get beaten if we disobey. He wants us to obey him because we love him and because what he's asking is reasonable. I've got uh, several kids, as does Pastor Ross, and I want my kids to love me, but I want them to obey me. I want them to obey me because they trust me and that my judgment has got their best interest in mind. I don't want them to obey me every time I ask something, cowering and shaking that I'm going to throw something at them or hit them. I want them to obey me because they think father, mother loves me and they have what's in my best interest. So if God had just killed Lucifer, all the other angels, their motive would have changed. And um, so does that help a little bit, Alex? It's Duncan. Or Duncan, I'm sorry. Yes. It does. All right. Well, thank you very much. And we do have a lesson. We can send you an illustrated lesson on Did God Make a Devil? The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And of course, this is available to anyone who calls and asks. Just ask for the study guide. It's called did God create a devil? And we've been talking about the study guide, Pastor Doug, throughout the program. We want our listeners to know you can call that number, 800-835-6747, and you can ask the person who answers the phone, you can just mention to them, you'd like to sign up for the free Amazing Facts Bible Study course. 
and we'll actually send it to you in the mail absolutely free and we'll cover all of these different bible truths that we find and uh, it's free so yeah take advantage of that and they can even do it online it is available online as well just going to the amazing facts website and you can sign up for free there as well we got clement listening in ohio clement welcome to the program uh yeah thank you can you hear me we can Oh uh, yeah, and I had a question from um, Matthew uh, 24, verse 36. It says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So my question was that if Jesus said that only God knows and if Jesus knows everything, does that mean Jesus also knows when God is coming or is it just God the Father? I think when Jesus made that statement in Matthew 24, he said uh, the only one who knows that is the Father. Uh, Christ, when he was on earth as a man, he did not have all the knowledge of the cosmos swirling around in his mind. And so Jesus obviously now knows the day and the hour of his coming. Uh, God the Father, I mean, I just cannot picture that Jesus is up in heaven and saying, oh, Father, please tell me, when am I supposed to come back? He's, oh, I can't tell you, it's a secret. Uh, you know, because <laughs> Jesus is, he, he is God also, and so he knows now. But as a man, he didn't know everything. And um, he had laid aside his divinity. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, he, Christ doesn't want anyone uh, picking a, uh, a date for his return. He said we should be ready all the time. It's going to happen in such an hour as you think not. And there are signs we can look at. He said that day should not overtake you as a thief. So, you know, we should be watching and looking at the signs. You know, we have a study guide talking about the second coming of Christ. It's called Ultimate Deliverance. And we'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the study guide called Ultimate Deliverance, and it'll give you all the Bible verses connected with the second coming of Christ. we got uh, DeMarcus listening in Georgia. DeMarcus, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How's it going? We're doing well. How are you doing? Can you hear me? Yep. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, uh, this uh, question is uh, basically uh, more of a personal question as far as your uh, walk with uh, Christ. I have just recently been introduced to the Sabbath, tr the Sabbath truth, and just to me, it's like one of the deepest things, you know, in the Bible. And when I try to tell people about it from my old church or just people on the job, they, they're not sure about it, and I'm like, I feel like they should be more alarmed. I mean, dates have been changed and, you know, I, people are just nonchalant about it. How did you guys handle that? Well, I went through the same thing. You know, when I first became a Christian, I, I didn't know initially about the, um, a, a number of things. I didn't realize that, you know, some of the 10 commandments had been ignored by the church. And, you know, there's one church that kind of ignores the commandment about idolatry and they got idols everywhere and people pray to them. Well, it's one of the Ten Commandments. You don't do that. And then there's another commandment. And we've got to remember, these are not ten suggestions. These are commandments that God spoke from the mountain. This is, you know, the law of God. And uh, he says he's commanded us to rest every seventh day, to gather together, to worship him. And, and uh, you know, a lot of Christians shrug and say, oh, it doesn't matter when I, whenever I'm ready or I, whether I keep the day or not. Or they don't believe it's important to keep it holy. God says keep it holy. And it's one of his commandments. And uh, breaking God's commandments is called sin. You're right. It's a big issue. But so much of the Christian world looks around and they say, well, no one else seems to be too excited about it. So it must not be a big issue. But it's like back in Christ's time, 
some of the people said, well, if he was really the Messiah, the religious leaders would be more excited, and they're not very excited, so maybe he's not the Messiah. And so it's, you know, kind of the, um, the herd mentality with some of these things is what you're probably running into. Does that make sense, DeMarcus? Yes. Yes, it does. It does. But don't lose your enthusiasm, you know, and you can't force, you know, you can't go beat people over the head with the Bible and say, didn't you know <laughs> this? But, you know, when you get an opportunity, you pray for grace and wisdom and mm-hmm. and uh, people are going to be interested in the truth, hopefully. Okay. That's why we do this program. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Next caller that we have is Nina listening in Puerto Rico. Nina, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. And thank you for taking my call. Thank you. What part of Puerto Rico are you in? I'm in Fajardo, uh, which is the northeast corner. We were in Ponce a couple of years ago uh, doing some meetings, and I'd love to go back sometime. But anyway, uh, so your question. Um, I had heard uh, something about Melchizedek being Christ. And I want a little bit of uh, clarification on that, if you can help me with that. Yeah, good good question. Um, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Now, there was a real person in the Bible during the time of Abraham. He was a high priest, and he was also the king of an area that they called Salem. Later, that hamlet, that small village of Salem, became the city of Jerusalem. The word Jeru means city of. And so um, Melchizedek, when uh, Abraham came back from fighting this battle with these kings in the north, he was victorious, and he gave a tithe of all that he had to Melchizedek. Well, Melchizedek, the king, and the word Melchizedek means king of righteousness, uh, of Salem, he brought out bread and wine. And when you get to the New Testament, and I know Pastor Ross has probably done several sermons on this in Hebrews, Uh, Melchizedek is identified as a type of Christ. Christ is the king of the new Jerusalem. He gave us the new covenant in the bread and the grape juice. He is the king of righteousness. And so there were some parallels. And if you read about it, it's actually in Hebrews chapter 7, almost the entire chapter is a parallel between Melchizedek, the historical individual, and how he foreshadows or is the type of Christ. What is interesting, Pastor Doug, is that you have Melchizedek, who is a king of a place called Salem. Eventually, it becomes Jerusalem. He's a king, but he's also a priest. And of course, Jesus is both king as well as priest. And Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, recognizing uh, his importance and his um, responsibility. And so Christ receives our praise. He receives our service. And so there's all kinds of wonderful parallels between Melchizedek and, and Christ. But Christ was not Melchizedek. He was a real person. Right. Exactly. Hey, thank you. I hope that helps a little bit, Nina, and uh, appreciate your call. We're going to try and get a couple more in here. We've got Roger listening in Tennessee. Roger, welcome to the program. Roger, you might have your mute on. Sometimes people patiently wait and they mute their phones. You there, you there Roger? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, my, my question is this. Uh, is it possible for someone that has been born again, as Jesus told us we had to be, and he told Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus that you must be born again. My question is this, someone that has been born again, is it possible for that individual to lose their salvation after being more, after truly being born again and accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior? Yes. Uh, I think that you, if you look at some scriptures, uh, for example, in Revelation, Pastor Ross, Jesus gives a warning to the church And he's talking, this is the church. These are believers. And he says, unless you repent, 
your candlestick will be taken out of its place. And you have examples in the Bible of people who were prophets like uh, Balaam. He was a prophet of God, obviously called, filled with the Spirit. But uh, he grieved away the Holy Spirit and he died a lost man. And then you have examples of people like King Saul, who God called to be king. He filled him with the Holy Spirit. But over the years, Saul became careless and eventually proud. And finally, he was demon-possessed. Um, and he went to a witch and died by suicide. And we don't expect to see Saul in the kingdom. So, you know, that, that doesn't mean we can't have assurance of salvation. But I think we need to be very careful about saying, well, I, I accepted Jesus. I know I was born again. So now I can live for the devil <laughs> and I can, I can continue in sin. Uh, you know, Hebrews 10, 26 says, if we continue to sin willfully after we've received a knowledge of the truth, then there's no more sacrifice for sin. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, and it's mentioned in uh, also Mark, he says, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So being a Christian requires endurance. We need to abide in Christ. We need to come to him daily. So it's not a one-time experience. To abide in Christ is a day-by-day -day experience. Paul said, I die daily. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Paul said, I have to be on my guard. It, while Otherwise, while I preach to others, I become a castaway. And so even Paul recognized that his salvation was something to nurture. So it, a lot of Christians think once I'm saved, I can be careless about my relationship with the Lord. And I can't be lost. And that, I think, is a, a very deadly uh, misunderstanding. You know, we got a book. It's called Can a Saved Man Choose to Be Lost? And it's this very subject that we'll talk about in the book. If you'd like to receive it, the number is 800-835-6747. Just ask for the book, Can a Saved Man Choose to Be Lost? Thank you, Roger. Yeah, thank you. We've got Jeff listening in uh, Georgia. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you. Actually, I was in Georgia, but I'm driving a truck. I'm heading north, and I'm in South Carolina now. <laughs> you waited all the way from Georgia to South Carolina. Well, thanks for your patience. Yeah, you guys, uh, your program is uh, one of the most useful programs I've ever heard on Christian radio. Well, thank you. That's a great compliment. It, and I appreciate your what you do uh i keep losing your signal though because <laughs> i keep driving i keep moving you know um my question is about the tower of babel uh, i don't know where to find it in the bible and the lesson about it and i was hoping you could give me a quick synopsis of why and what i'm supposed to gain from you know what what am i supposed to learn from the tower of babel all right very good that's genesis chapter 11 and this is shortly after the time of Noah when people began to multiply and spread over the face of the earth. And uh, some of them were afraid. For one thing, they're hoping that God would not send another flood. And they said, you know, let's build a tower. And, you know, in case there's a flood, we'll have this high point we can run to. It'll reach into the heavens. So it's Tower of Babel sort of represents man's efforts to save himself. It also represents rebellion. They said, Let's make a tower to make a name for ourselves. They're not interested in making a name for God. They're making a name for themselves. And furthermore, they want to make this tower so that they won't scatter across the face of the earth. God said, go forth, fill the earth, be fruitful. Well, instead, they're conglomerating in one spot. God said, you're disobeying me on several counts here. And so, and the king was, we think that Nimrod was, uh, he's a mighty hunter against God, is the way I think the original puts it. And so, um, God says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confound, I'm going to confuse, I'm going to uh, disrupt your project down there. I'm not going to bless it. And the way he did it was where everyone spoke one language. 
all of a sudden their languages all got confounded and confused and there was just small groups that seemed to understand each other. They stuck together and everybody else sort of just fragmented. The building project fell apart in strife and they began to scatter around the world. So it's telling us trust that uh, we're, we cannot save ourselves. Salvation comes through God that we need to obey God's word and don't live to make a name for ourselves. We want to be making a name for God. So a lot to learn from, uh, by the way, you get to Revelation talks about Babylon too. And uh, Babylon ended up becoming a city that was in opposition to the new Jerusalem. Well, listening friends, it uh, would not be fair. And we see that uh, Cavoy and Marlin and Deborah and Excellence, we didn't get your calls tonight. We hope you give us a chance next week. Don't forget that we're going to be having a big evangelistic program you can participate in in your church or your home group. And that'll be October 15, the Panorama of Prophecy. Thank you so much for keeping Amazing Facts on the air. If you want to support us, it's all paid for by you. Amazingfacts.org. We'll study again next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation in evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.